You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Today we're going to revisit a topic that we addressed back in May. It's not often in the same year we do the same sermon, but this year and for this, I thought we'd make an exception I thought about this sermon several times, and as I we're at the end of the year and we're looking back, and some some of the times we've looked back over, or I have looked back over this year, and there was a couple of times I couldn't remember if I preached this sermon or not, and I really enjoyed this topic and think it's an important one, and I came to realize the reason why I couldn't remember this sermon and delivering it to you was because I delivered this sermon to an empty room to the camera being right here directly in front of me. And it was put out on video only in the, one of those two or three weeks in which we couldn't meet at all. And so I can barely remember giving the sermon. Uh, if, it was, if it was nine months ago, I bet you all don't remember me preaching it, especially if it was just, well, watch it on video during the first days of turmoil that we had in our community over the things of COVID. So I thought, you know, actually, I think I want to address this again and uh, and deal with it uh, with you all here. And so if you do have a very good memory of the video sermon uh, from May the 3rd, why then this will completely be a refresher. If you're like me and didn't even remember that this was done, well, then yeah, you're just like me. And so uh, let's t- talk today talk about the subject of glorification and the basics that surround that. You see on the board from Romans 8.30, these whom he predestined, he also called. These who he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. This is our hope. This is the end of what's often called here the golden chain. The, uh, the end is glorification. And so we have uh, in this world, in sin, we have our time of, of humiliation. Uh, we have in uh, the things of Jesus, as this verse mentions, our time of justification. From other passages, we talk about our growing more holy and growing more Christ-like, being more conformed to His image, which is the process of sanctification. And we have the outcome of it all for the faithful, which is glorification. Now, I do note that there's one of these that we haven't spoken about in a while and probably then sets out to be my next assignment, which is uh, predestination or calling. Uh, That'll be on the to-do list of sermons to address. And you know how quickly I get to the sermons on my to-do list, so you can be expecting that in the next year or two. Hopefully a little sooner. The other reason why this verse came to mind so much recently is because we have spoken about Romans 8 and 28, the great promise that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him. Uh, We uh, had that promise in regard to Abraham, and we saw how that worked out. And we've had quite a bit in our Galatians study on Thursday nights, again, about uh, justification as Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. So we've been in this area of of, uh, of a biblical inquiry on several occasions lately. And so I thought it good and best that we do this 
uh, today and talk about the outcome of it all, our glorification. Now, what we'll note is that when it comes to glorification, it is our hope in His promise. Uh, This is the only way in which we would hope or expect have any kind of reasonable thought of being glorified. Because as time goes by, what generally happens to us? Are we uplifted and elevated? Or do we become weakened? And do we become humbled? And do we become, eventually as time goes on, do we become infirmed? And as we get to old age, is that an age of great glory? You know, my, my wife works down at the assisted living center, and, and most of those people are not there in great glory. Uh, but then there is a place for the people who are unable to be cared for at that level. There's a place for them to go where they need more help and care. And uh, I'm sure all of us have spent more time in nursing homes than we ever want to spend, no matter what amount of time that is. If that's five minutes, or if that was years in employment, everybody who's been to a nursing home who says, man, I want to go back there. Well, very good and kind people uh, who almost take it on that kind of work as a ministry. That's who says, I want to go back there, and we're glad people go and work there. But how many of us want to live there? How many, how many people uh, want to see people, others people, even if we, we know them or not, who want to see people in that condition? We don't, we don't even, I know people who will not go to nursing homes. They say, I don't want to see people like that. Yeah, but that's how people are. And one day that's how you'll be, right? And then for the people who can't be cared for in a nursing home, we have places beyond that, don't we? We're in greater infirmment and greater impairment. They can go and spend their final days, hopefully, in care and in some comfort in hospice, right? And so by what reasonable hope, again, reasonable hope of this world, would we expect things to get better? I know you young people are looking to days when you're older and stronger and faster and and enjoy that and when, when youth when when, uh, when youth is yours and when st- the strength of early adulthood comes upon you, enjoy that glorious season for all that it is worth. I think that's what Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes as well. But by what reasonable hope would the rest of us who pass the flower of age, what do we expect in the way of better? Well, we expect better through you, a bit vicariously maybe. We, 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 we glory to see our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, if we live long enough, we glory to see them do well and flower, don't we? But for ourselves, what reasonable hope do we have? Well, we have this reasonable hope, this hope based in faith, our hope on His promise. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two, talking about the resurrection, it says, so is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there'll be a spiritual body. Notice these key words. In the resurrection, it is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. That's the kind of body it will be. That's our hope for glorification. That's our hope for improvement. And so those who God justifies, uh, the ungodly, he saves and he justifies the ungodly. That's Romans 3. He does that through faith in Jesus Christ. He sanctifies us as he guides and instructs and directs 
and empowers our life in Jesus Christ so that eventually we come to this process which after the time of passing, after the time of the physical body, comes this again in Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. These he predestined, as we read, and he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. There's a, a confirmation being conformed to the image of his son. There's two times that we are conformed to the image of his son. One is in this life where we take on those divine qualities and we become in, in uh, all things pertaining to life and godliness more like him, more conformed to his image, those things in faith and hope and love. And then also where we become conformed absolutely after this body's time is over to be like his son, like First John 3, we don't know what we'll be like, but we'll be just like him and we'll see him just as he is. And so there's this two times of confirmation in this life spiritually in the next with that glorious, powerful, and spiritual body. All of this depends on, and all of this aims for and shoots for, God's glory. Glory which is not inherent in us. Look around and see humankind. Look around and see the, the, the broken bodies. Look around and see the diseased bodies, the weakened bodies. And more than the diseased and weakened bodies, look around and see the immoral and depraved and, and wicked minds of men, which are more twisted than the bodies of the elderly, uh, more twisted and more diminished than the ravages of time on the body as the effects of, of sin on the mind. We are not a glorious being anymore. Uh, we had an, a hope of that uh, in the garden where there was no sin and where we had uh, access to the tree of life, but that was ruined and wrecked for us, and now the only hope is, that, is to be restored to that through uh, the goodness of God. So glory is not inherent in us, but glory was greatly inherent in Him. He is the King of glory. From Psalm 24, Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He is Jehovah of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Selah means pause and think about that for a second. Who's the King of glory? Jehovah of hosts. What was it that at the Mount of Transfiguration that Peter and James and John, what did they see for a moment? They saw Jesus transformed, transfigured, his face shining like the sun, his garments white as light. For a moment, the glory of Jesus was shown on earth on the side of that mountain, and they saw it. And what do we find? That that's the kind of glory that was his eternally and rightly and inherently in him. So we have such phrases as Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Worthy are you. You know, sometimes powerful angels appear to men in the scriptures. And what do the angels say when men bow to worship? 
Even the angels say, get up. But of God, what happens when God receives honor and glory? Well, he's worthy. It's his glory and honor. He is worthy to receive it. Glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And because of you, they exist. And they were created. In Jude chapter 1, this, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all times and now and forevermore. What's one of the lessons we have to teach people constantly? Teach them in their youth and then teach them once they've had a little success. Teach them once they've had a little bit of something go right. We've got to teach people humility. Some people ain't done nothing. we still got to teach them humility. They're puffed up over nothing at all. No, we need to teach man humility and man to know his place. But we also need to teach men God's place, which is glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and forevermore. Or as Paul said to Timothy, he is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. And so this glory is his and inherent in his, in him. And at times he shows us, actually he shows us every night. Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. They tell me that just in a few days, we're going to see this amazing convergence of two of the brightest things in the sky, uh, Saturn and and Jupiter, right? And they're going to converge and look like one object in the sky. And some are calling that Bethlehem star and things like that. But it's an astronomical event that occurs on a regular basis, but not very often. They say it'll be the first time in 800 years anybody's seen it. Amazingly, it's so regular we can calculate the last time it was seen. And guess what else we can do? We can project the next time it'll be seen. One of the things that we know is that uh, things in the sky, uh, things like eclipses. Eclipses are on a 19-year cycle. I wanted all my life to see a total eclipse. I drove to Nebraska so I could get directly under it. In about two or three more years, I can drive down to Stillwater and be under another one. I never thought I'd see one. I, I, I may get to see two. Now on my list is the Northern Lights. If I'm ever gone, if I'm ever gone in the wintertime, and hey, why did Jay go so far north in the winter? Oh, Northern Lights, okay. I have a Northern Lights trip uh, in my bucket list. But I want to see these glorious things that do what? The heavens declare the glory of God. Their expanse declare the work of His hands. But then we also find in spiritual things, this in Habakkuk 2, we know Habakkuk 2 because so lately, so many times we've run back to Habakkuk 2, where it says the just shall live by faith. But in Habakkuk, speaking of the temple that God would have built, that second temple, and the things that went along with it, it says this, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think that's probably ultimately fulfilled in the gospel going to all mankind, the gospel going to all the world. But whatever uh, it might be, uh, whether it be fulfilled in that temple by itself or fulfilled in the, uh, the role of that temple in preaching the gospel, we see around the world the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The earth is a place for God's glory to be shown. The earth as it is is a place for us to know who is glorious and how he's glorious and how that is made for our uh, benefit. We also would note about the glory of Lord, the Lord. Yeah, he is jealous of that glory. This is why idolatry and selfishness, greed amounts to idolatry, that's Paul to the Colossians. This is why idolatry and selfishness 
and, and, and really there is so much overlap there. This is why this is such a horrible thing. And this is why it leads people so astray, because it leads them from God. It leads them from God to themselves or to things that they like that are contrary to what God has revealed. And so in Romans 1, the litany of sins that the Gentile world committed began with this. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-feeted animals and crawling creatures. Now, we often think about their foolish heart was darkened and we think about the ignorance and we think about uh, the, the error that leads to the litany of Romans 1 sins. And that is all there true. It starts with not giving God honor and glory and ex- instead exchanging His glory for something else. And so the, the, the ignorance and the foolishness and the depravity, these came in consequence. Uh, these did not come and cause the rest, but these were part of the chain of events that were set in motion when they exchanged His glory. And so when men take on God's glory, when men misappropriate God's glory, when they misdirect glory that should go to God, what happens? Acts chapter 12. What happens when Agrippa stands up and he starts to speak and the people there to flatter him say, oh, the voice of a God and not a man. Well, God strikes him dead for his pride. Or we think about Nebuchadnezzar being humiliated in Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel 4, the king reflected and said, as he looked out from his balcony over his great city, he said, is this not Babylon the great? which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for my glory and my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven came and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that your sovereignty has been removed. And then you read on as he's humiliated and he's humbled and in that state he finally humbles himself and his reason is then restored. And so then in Daniel 4.37, and he says, Now I, after having learned humility in his place relative to God, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And so the great king says, He is true, he is just, He is worthy of praise, honor, and exaltation. He humbles the proud. That's what the Proverbs say, isn't it? God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter quotes that for us in the New Testament. Well, just a couple of generations later, one of his descendants, Belshazzar, is taught the same thing. When they use the golden vessels from the temple in a time of uh, pagan worship and and uh, great excess and idolatry. Daniel 5.22, it says, Yet even though you knew this, uh, you still acted this way. Yet to you, his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking the wine from them, And you have praised the gods of gold and silver and of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see and do not hear and do not understand, but the God in whose hand are your life's breath and all your ways 
you haven't glorified. And so you've been weighed and you have been found wanting and you'll be removed, right? Then that's what the hand had written on the wall. Many, many tuckle you farson. And so God is jealous of his glory. And when people go far enough out of their way to not acknowledge him, to, to provoke him, when people do such egregious things, we find his direct intervention. But don't think that just because God hasn't directly intervened yet because of my pride, doesn't think he, he doesn't notice. And you maybe are missing blessing, and you're certainly missing the point if you take this honor for yourself and pride for yourself or direct it to things that are not truly God. So what we as believers have been told, Old and New Testament alike, as we've been told to only glory and to only boast in the Lord. This is our hope. Uh, this is our righteousness. Uh, this is the place of our faith. Uh, this is the place where we would boast. So Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah 9, 23, For thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches. Well, then I don't have much left. Well, actually, I didn't have a lot of those to start with. But yeah, a lot of people, they, they don't have much left if you're not to do that. But let him boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Right? So what's the New Testament? If anyone boasts, let him boast in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1, and that is 2 Corinthians 10. Those are actually directly quotes from Psalm 20 and Psalm 34, not Jeremiah 9, but it's the same thing in principle. Let him who boasts, Boast of this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord Jehovah, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. The Lord delights when we boast in him. The Lord delights when we know him. The Lord delights in these things. As Paul would tell the Romans, apply this now as a Christian rather than in a Jewish context. Romans 15, 17, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. And so let that be our boast. Let that be our glory. Let that be our hope. Let that be the flag that we fly. Let that be the place where our mind is at ease. Let that be the thing that we think of continually and constantly day and night. God is glad, as it says in Jeremiah, God is glad. He delights when we boast in him in this way so what we find is though he's very jealous of his glory and we can find many more passages for that could we not he is very jealous for his glory but to those people who know and understand him he doesn't seem to mind sharing at all and this is where we can get glorified that god shares his glory with those people who know him and who understand he exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness again in Jeremiah. And he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to appreciate and exercise, as he does, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. And when we do that in faith, he will share that glory with us. He will show his people his glory, glory like he has not shown others, even though he shows everybody the glories of the heavens and the glories of the earth, but to especially his people, he shows his glory in a special way and will share that. And so we find what his people are to say. Isaiah 49 and verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, 
in whom I'll show my glory. And so we think about Israel as compared uh, to the nations round about. We think about Israel back in those days. It was the place to see the glory of the Lord. It was the place with the temple. What did the Queen of Sheba say when she got there to see the temple that Solomon had built? I can't believe it. Even the stories told about this place didn't cover it. The glories of the temple or the glories of his word uh, as we think that Habakkuk 2 uh, prophecy is most likely about. The, the glorious hope that's in his word. The glory of his promises. Psalm 149, verse 4 and 5. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones into, or with salvation. Let the glad, godly ones, the saints, exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So even when you can't get off your bed, you can do what? You can sing glory to God. What do we think about in Genesis? Was it 48, 49? Old Israel on his bed, what does he do? He worships on his bed. It's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one of the great acts of faith. And so his holy ones can worship even when the body has failed, even when sight has failed, even when they have to bring the grandchildren right up there to his very knees and point out this one's this one and this one's this one, right? This is Ephraim, this is Manasseh. He goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And he worships God and gives prophecy. Israel does. Well, from the bed of, the, of, of affliction and of age, his holy ones can sing to joy and for joy in the Lord. Because the Lord takes such pleasure in his people again, uh, Psalm 149.4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Uh, how, how destitute and how bedraggled, how infirmed, how, how twisted and gnarled can the, the, the body be and how uh, diminished the mind can be and yet still take pleasure in the glory of the Lord and see that glory, share that glory, and one day participate in that glory. Why? Because glorification comes from God, not by our own strength. It is one of His gifts to His people. And so the glory in all that God has done, and the glory we see through the Messiah, the miracles, the resurrection, the gospel, and all these things, we fast forward to the end so that we get Romans 8 and 17. If children, heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified with Him. Glorified with Him. And so we will share in His glory as His gift to us, as His inheritance uh, to us that He shares. The place where He is at, He brings us to and asks us to participate in and with Him and receive. So Romans 9.22, what if God although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And He did so in order to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us. Again, vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory, and the Apostle Paul says that's us, even us whom he called, not just from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. And so from Jew and Gentile alike, these ones that God has prepared 
for glory. Our hope of glorification is that he makes us vessels of glory as he has made us vessels of mercy when by all rights we should be vessels of wrath. And so we get to share in his glory by his grace. Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. We will be with him and we will be like him. Philippians 3.21, he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. By the exertion of his power, our body will be conformed to his glory. One more. 1 John 3, verse 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. This is love. This is grace. This is mercy. This is kindness. This is God's love to us. That we would be called the children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it's not yet appeared what we'll be. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we'll see Him just as He is. So this is His love. This is His sharing. This is our glorification. Our glorification is His glory. So our glorification is His lifting us up to Him. Conforming us to Him. Making us like Him. Sharing what He is with us. We were made in His image to start. Isn't that the beginning of the whole story? We were made in His image to start. We'll be made again through the grace and hope of Christ as we've been sanctified in this life and been saved in this life, so we'll be lifted and fully glorified to be with Him forever. This is our hope in the world, and this is why we make it our aim, as Paul told the Corinthians. He said, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Because that's your glory too, and the only glory we can have. Because in ourselves, and by our merits, and by what we have done, and by the strength of ourselves and our own bodies, we're not going to have any glory. I've known a lot of old people. How often does it end well? Physically, it so seldom ends well at all. It only ends well if there's a spiritual hope. It only ends well in Jesus Christ, right? It only ends well in faith. Without faith, how does it end? Tragedy every time. But how does it end in faith? It ends in faith, in hope. Why? Because of the glory that is promised to come. With that then, we'll close. The lesson is now yours. Hope you'll think about these things and they'll be helpful to you. And let us always go forward, depending fully on God's grace, doing all things to His glory, the glory He'll share one day with us. If you need to come confessing Him, uh, so that you may uh, be identified with Him, uh, united with Him in baptism, expressing such faith as, as you should by the gospel, we'd ask you to come. If you need to confess sin, to come back. Please come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.